Namaste. So we are with the mother in our prayers and meditations. And as we see that it's a wonderful spiritual guide, what should be our life, what should be our attitude. Spiritual life is not just about sitting in meditation and doing some techniques and practices. Uh, people often think that you know if we take the, do this japa, if we do take this posture, if we do this process or technique, uh, we will grow into, we'll have or have some spiritual experiences. We are growing in spiritual consciousness, but spiritual consciousness is intertwined in everything in life. So that is what the mother is teaching us: what should be our attitude towards everything. Another very interesting thing we read in this prayer, which are which we are going to read, it's a prayer of October seventh, nineteen thirteen. So this is the time when a lot of changes were coming in in the in the mother's personal life as well as you know, very soon she will prepare in next year March she will be setting sail to come to Pondicherry to meet Shirobindo. So we see that there is a period of preparation going on. And what we see in this prayer is, what is true detachment? Normally we think a detached person is somebody who has outwardly left something. Somebody walks away from home, so he is aniket. Somebody leaves family and children, so therefore he is a great uh, tyagi. Well, the Gita speaks about the difference between tyaga and sannyasa. And we see that in Shurabindo's life and in the mother's life. The main difference is that sannyasa is something which we do outwardly. It's a formal process. But it does not mean that our inner consciousness has changed. Our inner consciousness will be the same. Sannyasis may go and live in a monastery and be attached to the monastery, to its surroundings, to its room, the room where they are staying. There are people who have lived in monastery and they feel very proud that we have never stepped out of the monastery. So they get attached even to their circumstances. They get attached to the people, to the fellow monks. So this is not truly the spiritual way. Spiritual way is to be detached wherever we are. And this detachment comes not because we are forcing ourselves to detach. But because the spiritual fire is growing so much that automatically things which have to be dropped, they drop off. Especially in terms of diet, this is so true. People think that if they don't eat a particular kind of food, let us say if they take vegetarian food or they become vegans, um, extreme fad, so they think that they are being spiritual. No, Hitler was a pure vegetarian. Uh, so being vegetarian is not the issue. The issue is the change of consciousness. That's what defines spirituality. So when this consciousness changes, automatically, spontaneously, certain things drop out of our nature. And that is the true tyaga. And that's why the mother says, in our yoga we don't talk about renunciation. Because if you have to renounce something, and especially when we renounce, there is a sense of pain, oh, we have to leave something, then this renunciation is not worth it. It should drop off, Naturally, spontaneously, organically, simply because we are growing in the inner fire and therefore certain things to which we were attached no more hold good for us anymore. This we notice in our life as we progress. So this is a prayer where the mother has gone out for a few months and then she returns back to the house. Now we must remember that this is 1913. She had already realized a constant and conscious union with the divine within when she was 18 
to between 18 to 20 years. That means 1896 to 1898. This is the time when she had got married. She had already realized the inner union. She is still going through life experiences because there is a reason. One, life experiences bring out different aspects of the nature. Second, because she has to one day assume the role of being the guide and leader of the whole world. How will she guide mankind if she knows not the, all the problems, the difficulties and challenges that human beings face? That's why I always say, you may reverse a sannyasi, it's alright. Uh, some people like to carry the photo of a sannyasi in their uh, whatever in their wallet but uh, sannyasis cannot guide the world because uh, in the world there are many things many challenges which a sannyasi has never faced he may have faced some inner challenges but that is not enough he has to teach us how to face these challenges and go to it through it but somebody who has not suffered and known the human miseries the human problems the human attachments the human difficulties how can he understand how can he guide so this we see the mother returning after 3 months to her house so normally when we are returning back to our house we are all our thoughts begin to flow towards the house when the journey itself has started Oh, what will be the state of the house? We have to clean it. We have to do this. And the moment we come, women get preoccupied by, by you know, uh, once again that the house uh, in the beautification of the house. While all that may be needed uh, and is needed, but see the attitude that she has. This return, this is October 7th, 1913. This return after three months of absence. To the house which is consecrated to thee, O Lord, has been an occasion for two experiences. So first she teaches us that this idea, this is my house, this should go away. And there are some people who even outside the house write their own name or family name. Uh, you know, surname, Pandes, I am using his surname I don't use. But uh, there are people, uh, Pathaks, Guptas, Varmas, Sharmas. Well, what does it mean? But uh, to start with, she says, this is a house consecrated to you. So this idea, when we live with the house, you know what Yagnavalk has said, that one loves the wife, not for the sake of the wife, but for the sake of the self. One loves the friend, not for the sake of the friend, but for the sake of the self. One loves the child and the country, not for the sake of the child or the country, but for the sake of the self. And one can add, one loves the house, not for the sake of the house, but for the sake of the self. So she has taken care of the house. She has already consecrated the house to the divine. So this house has been already consecrated. Now she gets two experiences. The first is that in my outer being, my surface consciousness, I have no longer any feeling that I am in my own house or the owner of anything at all. Inwardly, she knows it. See, the difference in this yoga is what is our inner truth must also manifest outside. So inwardly, we know this. Intellectually, we know this. Even emotionally, we may grasp it that this is not my house, this is the Divine Mother's house. But still something of the outer consciousness seeks it as the comfort zone. It is my house. That's when we become uncomfortable when we go anywhere else because uh, it's not my house. You know, we are so attached to its atmosphere, to everything within it. But the mother is in a true sense aniket, without a house. So she is in her house and yet she is aniket, one of the things that the 
Gita speaks of. So she says that, I feel that I don't own this house or anything at all. I am a stranger here. Uh, so, you know, there is a story of uh, somebody who visits a monk's house and he says, this is the true sense in which we should take it. Uh, he says, um, he has come to take something or steal something, a thief. So he says, uh, he asked the thief that, uh, why don't you take this? Why don't you take that? Why don't you use this? He says, but I am a stranger here. The man says. So the master says, but I am also a stranger here. Though it is his, so called his house, but he regards himself as a stranger. So this is a very profound state of consciousness in which she is inviting us. I am a stranger in a foreign land. This is Paris. And we say mother is French. She is, she is saying, I am a stranger in this foreign land. Who would call one's own country as a foreign land? And it's not that, okay, this was a foreign land and India is a true land. Uh, she says, I belong to no nation, no civilization, no country. In 1912 itself, she has said that, you know, this is the time when she has met Abdul Baha, uh, the son of the founder of Baha'i religion, Baha'u'llah. And that time he wanted her to speak. And the mother says that, uh, no, no, I don't want to speak and address. He wanted her to take over the movement because he was not uh, keeping too well. She said, no, I cannot. So he asked her to speak. So she said, no, I am not a speaker. He said, doesn't matter, you just speak. You be there and speak. And whatever you speak will be divinely inspired. It is one of the most remarkable speeches that one can, uh, one can read it. It's in Collected Works of the Mother, Volume 2. The speech that she gives and she sp speaks of the light that expresses itself through her mouth. And during the same moment and in this context only she says that I belong to no nation, no civilization, uh, no country can claim me as itself. I am only... I do only what the God wills. And I will speak as the divine wants me to speak. But to speak in the name of a doctrine, that I cannot do because the eternal wisdom forbids me. So she says, I am going to speak, but I cannot speak on behalf of the Baha'i religion. That I cannot do. I will speak spontaneously what the divine wants me to speak. And it's such a wonderful speech where she speaks about the masters. She says, the masters who have left this earth continue to exist. This as much applies to Mother and Shurabindo in a much more way because their work is on earth. But there itself she says that masters who have left this earth, they continue to guide us and we should be grateful to them. Such a one is so and so and that's how she starts. Wonderful speech. So during this time she has come back possibly after this episode or incidence. I'll confirm this after rechecking. But when exactly did she speak um, to the Baha'i group must be before it this is my impression because in six months time she has left uh, the shores of France so she comes back and says I am a foreigner in this land a stranger here much more of a stranger here than in an open field among the trees the city life I am a stranger here in this you know we were reading about Shirbindo, how he speaks about the dazzle with which we are so much, uh, we start thinking that, you know, this is life. 
and she says that no this not life paris this not life there are people youngsters who want to make a life in fortune in paris or new york or london and they think it's something great she says no this not life i am much more comfortable in an open field which is full of nature and belongs to no one no wonder she used to look at the place where now present oroville is and she did create when the time and means were given to her his place a place which belongs to nobody no religion no country can possess it but a place which belongs to the divine this is important to <laughs> remember otherwise we think no country belongs this place belongs to nobody in particular so it belongs to human whims and fancies she says that it belongs to the divine and one has to be a divine servitor to live there so this experience starts there she says that i am much more of a stranger here than in an open field among the trees and i smile now that i have learned what i did not know before she is talking about her outer being inwardly she knew about it i smile at the idea of the feeling of being the mistress of the house so she felt outwardly that you know mistress means she is the Uh, she will de- take a decision she will do what she wants others have to do according to you know her uh, idea of things uh, you see that is how when mother came here very few people are aware uh, till 1951 she did not even have a proper room to herself uh, she had a small little portion of uh, one room which known as the interview room through which we now pass to the mother's room but it's not an exclusive room it was a place where also work used to go on and at night she would retire for a couple of hours in that bed which is now the couch which is kept there and it's only after 1951 i think it was 53 or 54 i'll have to check that that a room was built for her upstairs at the insistence of dhuman bhai so imagine the divine mother who is looking after the whole creation did not have a room to herself so she says i was smiling at the idea of the feeling of being the mistress of the house which i had before my departure now this is such a powerful thing this is uh, you know this detachment can be so powerful this true renunciation um when shurbindo withdrew physically then his um, nephew his brother's son so he felt that ah this is my moment the entire ashram basically everything was in shurbindo's name uh, mother already wrote to her son andrida that you know we have this we have that but you know that though things are now in my name but actually you know it it's not mine it is all shurbindos uh, she says i know you understand it but just in case so that he doesn't come and make a claim that it's all my property so she clarifies but this uh, this man writes uh, to the ashram authorities Uh, then ashram authorities that well uh, all this property now is mine and i it should be given to me rightly so legally it is mine because it's all in shurbindo's name so nalnida goes to mother they are all shaken they don't know what to do so they go to mother mother what should we do now you see modern mind modern mind will say file a court case we are going to say we are possessing the land how dare somebody can come and take it we will fight it let him claim it nothing of that sort Now look at the divine response. This is human response, courts and police and all this. The divine response is something else. The mother says, "Tell him." After a moment's pause, tell him to come and take it. Who is stopping him? Now this is most unexpected. Nobody expected the mother would say it. But what a power! 
when this is written to him he doesn't dare to come the matter drops there because when we truly don't possess anything and we have consecrated it to the divine then the divine takes possession of that it is in the hands of the divine and it is up to the divine to do with it what he wants to do this kind of a surrender we see here uh, once somebody gave uh, a very costly shawl to shri ramakrishna paramans and uh, he put it around him and as usual oh it is looking so nice uh, you know he is wanting to hear some praise or accolades suddenly shri ramakrishna took that shawl off his shoulder and threw it on the ground started dancing on it so this man for some time keeps quiet then then he becomes restless and he tells him sir but it is you know very expensive so shri ramakrishna says see 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 i told you you have never really given it to me <laughs> you are still keeping it with yourself if you have really given what i do with it is my concern so this kind of state attitude far from being we think it's a weakness but it's a tremendous power when something has been given to the divine the divine takes care of it it may be our body it may be our life it may be our destiny it may be our house it may be our relationships it may be our friend husband wife children whatever but once we have given then we should know that the divine will take care in his own way so she says that i smile now that i have learned what i did not know before i smile at the idea of the feeling of being the mistress of the house which i had before my departure it was necessary that all pride should be broken crushed trampled down definitively so that i may at last be capable of understanding seeing and feeling things as they are now you see this crushed broken um, trampled upon if we look at the context we can understand you know mother had deliberately married uh, as we know Uh, her second husband was in asura falsehood and uh, there are many stories about him that uh, how he wanted uh, mother to declare him as uh, god and she would not do it so he used to torture her so probably something i can surmise being her little baby something of that has happened this no way documented but uh, when she is using the word pride was crushed broken trampled upon how she is responding she discovered this yes, it is true it is not my house it doesn't belong to me it belongs to the lord outwardly doesn't matter who is claiming but i have given it to the lord it is up to the lord what happens to it and what does not happen this of course she is referring to the house on 9 rue valdegrace in paris she has changed uh, different houses Uh, this was the one now no more you know that house is owned by somebody else and she never wanted when photographs were shown to her much later of this house she says there is nothing of mine there just like when chandanagar photographs were shown to shirbindo he said there is no more of my atmosphere there so this long back and she says it's no more my house i have given it to the divine so she says all this was necessary you are the one who has broken my pride and all these trampled upon these feelings they have been crushed so that i see the truth she is not blaming anybody or cursing anyone i offered thee this dwelling o lord as if it was possible for me to possess anything and so make of it an offering to thee see this is the truth yaga we say that you know i am offering see the famous what was the fault of yudhishthir people say well yudhishthir put something on the game of dice though he is knower of dharma 
which never belonged to him, his wife, his brothers, his uh, kingdom, it never belonged to him. How could he put it on dice? Even the wealth. So she says that how can I offer something which is not even mine? You know that famous story of Chudala and her husband, Shikidwaj, who um, Chudala is a yogini, but she is married and she lives a normal married life, but she is a yogini. Whereas Sikhidhvaj once uh, gets disgusted, you know, people who indulge too much get into this state of outer vairagya. So she gets in, he gets into a state of outer vairagya, sannyas, and walks away. But after some wandering, he realizes he is finding nothing. So he does not know, he is contemplating ending his life, and then suddenly Chudala goes and says, What is your problem? She changes her form into a boy's and goes and says, what is your problem, young man? So he says, I don't know, I am looking, finding, trying to find myself. I have renounced everything, still I am not able to find myself. So she says, what have you renounced? So he says, well, I have renounced my kingdom. So she laughs and says, was it yours? He says, ah, that wasn't mine. So says, what you have renounced? I have renounced my house and everything and I am now roaming everywhere. He says, but you really think the house was yours? So again he thinks. Then he says, okay, uh, maybe I should take away my dress and this bowl, begging bowl with me. He says, but that is also not yours. Then he says, maybe I should renounce this body which I am holding on to and jump off the cliff. Then she says, are you a fool? You are ready to renounce all this, but you are not ready to renounce the ego, which is what is the big problem. <laughs> so, <laughs> later on she will say that the supramental world and the ego, they don't go together. And she says, tell the ego its authority is gone, gone, gone. And she says, the true heroism is to tell your ego that your hour is gone. This is the heroism that the divine expects of us. So, this one example of this idea that this is mine, I possess it, that must go away. All possessiveness is contrary to the true spiritual impulsion. So she says, All is thine, O Lord. It is thou who placest everything at our disposal. To live in this state, that whatever comes to us, she is the one who gives it. And what goes from us, eventually goes to her. But how great is our blindness? When we imagine that we can be the owners of anything, Something has come, we are trustees and not owners. So to live life with this consciousness that we are just trustees. Nothing really belongs to us. Everything comes from her. Is today with us, will pass on to other hands tomorrow. That is also documented beautifully in another prayer where we will read that one of the days. I am a visitor here as everywhere else. The, thy messenger and thy servant upon earth. So who am I? I am just a visitor here. People say it is my house, but it is not my house. I am visitor here. And who am I? I am thy messenger and thy servant. Wherever the messenger is sent, there the messenger goes. Wherever the servant is asked to complete an errand, the servant goes. He has no claim over where he must go, where he should stay, what he should do. It is in the hands of the divine. Thy messenger and thy servant upon earth a stranger among men and yet the very soul of their life and the love in their hearts. She knows, she has universalized, she has experienced that state of universality where she finds herself in every heart. She would even at one point write, living within the heart of each atom, I kindle therein the fire that never burns out. So she says that I am a stranger among men. 
men don't know who i am i uh, uh, but i am the one who is the love of their life and i am the i am the soul of their life and the love in their heart such is her identification this is the first realization she gets the second one she says in the second place the whole atmosphere of the house is charged with a religious gravity because she has meditated she has done sadhana she has lived in that house she has moved in that house with such a state so you see it's very interesting one it reminds us the first part that this idea of grahastha one can be having a house and yet not be a grahastha grahastha grah literally means to hold so somebody who holds owns possesses he is a grahastha it's not about marriage or not marriage one may be living in a room single and yet one may have the sense of ownership such a person is a householder a grahastha whereas another person he may be in a palace we see in shurbindo's life and the mother's life but wherever one is one knows that it belongs to the lord such a person is aniket the true sanyasi so she is a grahastha and yet a sanyasi second thing because she has lived there there is a wonderful atmosphere see this is what often people speak about you know what is special about the ashram leave aside everything else something which cannot be replicated cannot be found anywhere else of course the samadhi is there the very fact that they have lived here that atmosphere those vibrations it's their tapasya it's their place of seat of tapasya as shrivindo said in one of his letters um, i think it was to mr munje no it was to joseph baptista that pondicherry is the cave of my tapasya when he is asked to come back to politics he says no i cannot come uh, this is the cave of my tapasya but a tapasya of a different kind not of the usual sanyasi kind of tapasya but with an another aim so any place where uh, divine beings have lived and they have uh, moved around it's not about what they did and didn't do that place is charged the matter of that place so many places she has gone she has touched she has looked at certain houses certain streets and that will always be imprinted in the memory of that place of course it is left to us whether we are awakened enough to feel it or we are so dull and obscure um, so tamasic in our consciousness that we are not able to feel it that is up to us but it is there so she is now speaking about that house it is charged with the religious gravity here one descends immediately into the depths meditation is more gathered in and more serious so this is a house where one can easily meditate but as i said she has withdrawn that atmosphere same thing with chandanagar that should be the withdraw now that is their leela they didn't want because it could be misuse those energies uh, that is up to the divine you see recently uh, i can share this experience i'm sure many people would would have had it um, i have not spoken about with anyone but this time on 29th march we couldn't go to the ashram we couldn't go to uh, the playground and but i have been noticing since the time this lockdown and the ashram is no more accessible to commoners like us of course i'm sure there are people who can go who are working inside or whatever but i realized one thing that every room her presence has become very intense is so intense that one feels earlier i could see a difference between uh, meditating in one place and meditating inside the ashram this difference but discovery that uh, such a happy discovery that uh, wherever one sits for meditation in any of these houses it is 
right as if one is sitting inside the ashram and i think this is uh, must be many people's experience that mother has come now in every house and she is dwelling there and that atmosphere is a lot more charged in any case every house of the ashram is special but it is lot more charged because she has come out because we could not go uh, inside so this is the atmosphere that she describes in her house this person disappears the moment in the place where the mother has lived uh, well in our context now we can speak about the ashram she says that this person disappears and gives place to concentration it's very easy to concentrate and all the discursive thoughts the um, the strings of consciousness which are running in this direction that direction automatically cease and one can concentrate inside and i feel this concentration literally descending from my head to enter into my heart and my heart seems to reach greater depths than my head so it is a new phase uh, in her yoga which is beginning that is how we see in mother and shirvindo and she says it's much easier now to descend into deeper and deeper states of meditation it is as if for 3 months i had been loving with my head and that now only i begin to love with my heart and this brings with it an incomparable gravity and sweetness of feeling so she has realized the divine presence but she has realized it by the force of her intensity she speaks about this event that when she was around 18 she had decided that i must realize the divine and that time she saw a shooting star and this was her uppermost aspiration she says and at before the end of the year she had realized and she says uh, people say that you know if you see a shooting star and you wish something it is fulfilled she says it's not the wish it's the intensity of the aspiration but intensity of aspiration is one thing and love bhakti devotion surrender is something else so that has become much deeper within her so all these prayers which we see we find that devotion but we'll see the change which will come after this before this there is this surrender there is everything but she says it's more from the head but now there is a depth and intensity of the feeling which is bringing an incomparable gravity and sweetness of feeling and therefore she says a new door has opened in my being and an immensity has appeared before me this is characteristic of shurbindu and the mother that they could suddenly enter into a new phase otherwise we see even in the life of uh, seers and sages and saints they were arrived through a certain process and then they are stuck there they are not only stuck to the realization they are also stuck to the process they think this is the only way that is how religions and sects and cults are formed but mother and shirbindo always teach us to go ahead to go towards the future realizations not be happy with our past achievements whatever we may have experienced and realized is nothing compared to what yet we must and can experience and realize a new door has opened in my being and an immensity has appeared before me i cross the threshold with devotion feeling hardly worthy yet to enter upon this hidden path veiled from the sight and as though invisibly luminous within so this is the path she has entered into the depths of the heart she says it's a new path and i am now going to explore it this is where we see that in a certain sense 
the yoga which we see described in Savitri, the yoga of Savitri, where she enters within through the heart, that begins. And this will go on for a long time. We'll see that. All is changed. Each such conversions, each such change of consciousness is like a reversal. She describes that. So everything changes. Each time we ascend to a new level, each time we discover a deeper depth, everything changes in our life, circumstances, situation, our attitudes, our inlook, our outlook. And that begins to reflect in our life, our actions and our surroundings. So she says, all is changed, all is new. The old garbs have dropped and the newborn child half opens its eyes to the light of the dawn. So this is how we must be ready to shed the past at each moment so that a new light can be born. And it is through these successive ascents, through these successive discoveries, through these successive depths after depths that we arise at the fullness and the integrality of the divine realization. Namaste.